Uh, good morning. Our scripture reading this morning will be from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 19. It's page 949 in your pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. <clears throat> Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Thank you, Chris, for reading God's Word for us this morning. I have quite the task uh, this morning because our text uh, requires a little bit of explanation, and uh, many of you were up very late last night for a, a little uh, wedding that happened. And so if you get tired, then I will not be offended if you stand, and if you fall asleep, I will throw the nearest object at you, and we'll, be, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll find our way this morning. No, I'm just kidding. But I will call you out by name. Uh, no. Uh, no, but this morning I do have the awkward privilege of preaching the next section in Hebrews chapter 13. And it's a privilege uh, because it's God's Word, and it's always a privilege to preach God's, God's Word. But let me show you why it's an awkward privilege. So look at, uh, look at verse 17 this morning in our text here. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, well, who are your leaders that he's referring to here in Hebrews 13? Well, look back at verse 7. He says, Remember your leaders. Okay, all right, who are these leaders? They are those who spoke to you the word of God, is what it says. Okay. So now these leaders in verse 7 are not the current leaders. So when, when the, whoever the author is of Hebrews, when he wrote to this Hebrew house church, verse 7, who he's referring to, is not the current leaders who were there in that house church at that time. It was past leaders. And you could see that because he says, remember your leaders, right? So you don't have to remember 
people who are already here. You remember those who went before you, those who were in the, who were in the past. And they also uses a past tense verb. Um, he says, the ones who spoke the word of God to you. In other words, they did this in the past. Okay, so verse, verse, seven, verse 7 is leaders from the past. So it might be something like, uh, maybe like our modern day missionaries. So what does a missionary do these days? These days, a missionary goes and uproots themselves from their normal place, and they, they go to a place where the gospel has not been proclaimed. They, they plant themselves in this place, and they preach the gospel. Okay? In some ways, that's probably kind of like what these guys were in verse 7. They were those who uprooted themselves, they went to another place, they uh, planted themselves, and they spoke the gospel. They proclaimed the gospel. And maybe some of the people who read this letter of uh, the, the Hebrews for the first time Maybe they had actually come to Christ as a result of these past leaders. And so he's telling them to remember, but these are past leaders. Okay, but look again at verse 17. These leaders are the church's current leaders. Okay, and you can see that because he says, obey, which is a present tense verb. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's a present tense verb. For they are keeping watch right now. In other words, it's present tense. So verse 7 was past leaders, and verse 17 is current leaders. But who are these leaders? (laughs) That's what we're trying to figure out. Okay, well, verse 7 says, I warned you before, this takes a little bit of explanation. Okay, verse 7 says, remember your leaders. Who are those leaders? Those who spoke to you the word of God. So those who spoke the word of God are the leaders. So the, the present leaders are those who are tasked with teaching God's word to God's people. Teaching God's word to God's people. And in the New Testament, there's only one office who has the task of teaching God's word to God's people. And it's pastors. And so you could see why this is maybe an awkward privilege for me this morning. Because as one of your pastors, I have to stand here and explain and exhort you to obey this scripture that says that you should obey and submit to your pastors. So that's a little bit awkward, right? (laughs) And there are a few easy ways out. So there would be some easy ways out for me this morning. And I think, actually, some pastors take these easy ways out. Let me, let me uh, give you two of them. And they're two extremes that are, at best, extremely unhelpful, but at worst, could be extremely damaging. And so let me give you these two extremes. The first extreme would be to domineeringly enforce this. Okay, so, it's, so it'd be say up here, see, look, it says obey and submit. All right, so you better do what I say, and you don't ask questions, and you just obey, and you just follow, and you do whatever I... Okay, that would be domineeringly enforcing. But that's not what this scripture is teaching. And so that would be actually an easy way out. It's a, it's a lot easier if I just say, just do what I say and don't ask questions. <laughs> that's an easy way out, but it's not what this passage teaches. The other extreme, though, is to fearfully ignore this. Like, oh, I don't want to be so domineering, uh, so I'm just, you know, let's just skip this passage, right? You know, so we did Hebrews 13, 6 last week. Let's just skip to verse 20. That would be nice, right? Okay, that's another easy way out. 
And in our day and age, this is a very tempting way out. Because in our day and age, leadership automatically produces thoughts of skepticism. Right? I mean, you think leadership, you think skepticism. We've seen enough bad leaders who domineered their way through life to get whatever they wanted to make us feel skeptical about leadership. And by the way, that's not leadership. Domineering your way through life to get what you want is not leadership. But because of this skeptical tendency of many people these days, it can become easy as a leader, especially a a leader who is a pastor, to just want to ignore passages that talk about leadership in the church because people are already skeptical about leadership. But look at the second half of verse 17 for a second here. Second, the second half of the verse says, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, in other words, following this teaching is an advantage to you. And so, if I fearfully ignore what Scripture has to say here, then I'm actually thinking only about myself and what people think about me And I'm withholding something that's actually to your advantage. And so this morning, the the, the only right way to handle a text like this is to lovingly teach all that God says. And so that's what we're going to try to do this morning. We're just going to embrace what God's Word has to say. But quickly, let me just remind you. So that's why it's an awkward privilege. But let me just remind you this morning, uh, kind of where we are in the book of Hebrews. And last month, I gave, like half the message was recapping Hebrews 12. We're not going to do that this time. Uh, But just very quickly, where we've come from, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, we were told to, in verse 25, not refuse the one who is speaking. So don't refuse Jesus. What does it look like to not refuse him? Well, verse 28 says to offer acceptable worship to him. And what is acceptable worship? Well, that's what chapter 13 is. It explains what acceptable worship is to God. What does it look like to worship God? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And we've seen so far in chapter 13, we've seen so far that Christians show love to each other and to strangers. They care for the mistreated. They hold marriage in high honor. They live content with what they have. They enjoy security they have in Jesus, and today we learn that they respond to authority. That's what it looks like to offer to God acceptable worship. And so this morning, we're looking at that last one, responding to authority. And I have just two points this morning, and I'm, I'm just guessing some of you are sighing a, a sigh of relief. Only two points, great. That sounds great. Well, I can't promise that it'll be shorter, but we'll see. Um, so our two points this morning are leadership and the unchanging gospel— and leadership and joyful church life. Okay, these are what we're looking at this morning. So first of all, leadership and the unchanging gospel. And we look at verse, verses 7 through 9. The way our text kind of breaks up this morning, we have verse 7 through 9 is, is kind of, uh, talks about leadership. Verse 17 through 19 talks about leadership. And it's kind of sandwiching verses 10 through 16. And so the next time we're in Hebrews, because it's just too much to do in one message, the next time we're in Hebrews, we're going to look at that central section. Uh, verses 10 through 16. But today we're looking at 7 through 9 and 17 through 19. So what we have in verses 7 through 9, we have two commands, we have a grounding truth, and we have an implication 
from that truth. Okay, so let me show this to you in the text here. So look at verse 7 again. Okay, verse 7. He says, remember your leaders. That's the first imperative in this text, in this, in this verse. Remember them. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life. And here's the second one. Imitate their faith. So the two commands, remember your leaders and imitate their faith. So as you think back to those who first proclaimed the gospel to you, the, the ones who first described what Jesus has done for you, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, remember those leaders and imitate their faith is what he tells us here. Okay, but wait a minute. I mean, didn't they live in a very different time? I mean, wasn't it a very different culture? I mean, they had different ways of doing things. I mean, and it's not, I mean, those things don't really work in our day and age, right? I mean, aren't their ways just outdated? Well, notice again, he doesn't say imitate every last thing that they do, every last practice that they do. What does he say to imitate? He says, imitate their what? Their faith. So it's not that they follow every blind thing that, that the leaders did in the past. They don't imitate every last thing. So I have a, I have a, four, uh, I have a two-year-old in my household who uh, likes to imitate every last thing that a four-year-old in my household does. And so if she says something, he says it. And if she does something, he does it. And sometimes it's a little bit uh, scary. Um, and he has no idea what he's saying. Like, he's just spouting off words, and he has no idea what it means, but she said it, so it must be right to say, right? Okay, that, dangerous. But, but that's what he does. But that's not what the author has in mind here. He's not saying imitate every last thing. He says imitate their faith. So those who had originally declared the gospel to these believers lived lives of faith, and that faith was what should be imitated. But specifically, what was their faith in? And this is when we come to the, the grounding truth in this passage, the grounding truth. Okay, remember I said two commands, a grounding truth. So the grounding truth is in verse 8, and it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same for all time. Now, I think in this verse, I don't think, that, I don't think the author is necessarily trying to make a statement about the unchangeable nature of God himself. Okay, that's true. God does not change. And the author of Hebrews alluded to that in Hebrews chapter 1. But I think what he's really describing here in, in, uh, in verse 8 is the unchanging nature specifically of the gospel about Jesus. And the reason I think that is because of, the, of how this verse connects with verses 7 and 9. So verse 7 uh, we, were just, we were just reminded to remember your leaders, and he says, those who spoke to you the word about God. So, so the emphasis here is on the gospel truth, the word that was, that was proclaimed. And in the next verse, verse 9, he's going to warn us not to, not to be led away from this gospel word, this truth. And so I think what he's saying here, you know, when you read the Bible, you should ask questions. I hope, I hope you ask questions. And when I first read this passage, I read verse 8, and I was like, okay, imitate their life. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today. What? I was like, that, that seems a little bit random. Why did he say that? And you should ask questions like that when you read the Bible. And so, and I think the reason that verse is there is because he's tying these two verses together. He says, 
uh, remember your leaders and, and imitate their faith. And then, and then we come to, don't be led astray from the faith. And what he's doing is he's connecting these two together. He's saying, don't, don't, remember your leaders because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, i.e., when your past leaders were here. And he's the same today, and he's the same forever. And so the point here is that, the point is that there is a grounding truth, and that is that Jesus Christ is the same. The gospel doesn't change. The same gospel that was powerful enough to save our parents is the same gospel that is powerful enough to save me. And it's the same gospel that is powerful enough to save my kids. It doesn't change. And so the implication is found in verse 9. So look at verse 9 here. He says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, for sake of time, you're like, what's going on in that second half of that verse? For sake of time, I'm just going to say that what he's probably referring to is some kind of Jewish cultic practice that kind of came up that was tempting for these Christians to begin to follow. And he's saying, no, don't follow those. Don't follow this because the gospel doesn't change. And so here's, here's the point. The point is that the gospel truth does not change. It passes the test of time. And so when something new and interesting and thought-provoking comes on the scene, you should not reject all that you have learned from God's word. You should not reject the gospel truth to go to this new strange teaching. And there are new strange teachings, aren't there? I mean, it's like, it's like every year there's another one, right? <laughs> but you know what's really fascinating about those new and strange teachings? I mean, those of you that have been around long enough to, to see a strange teaching come and go, <laughs> you see this. I mean, every, you know, 50 years ago, what was proclaimed as this is truth, you should follow this. Now, it's like you're a bigot if you believe that. Because truths, the, the cultural ideals change. But this doesn't change. And so we can stake our claim, we can stake our lives on God's word. So we have these two commands, remember and imitate your leaders. And this grounding truth, the reason you should imitate them, their faith, is because of what the gospel, because the gospel does not change. And the implication is, since the gospel doesn't change, then don't be led astray by new and strange teachings. And so that's what we have here in verses 7 through 9. But before we move on from verse 7 through 9, I think there's something very important, an, an important observation that I'd like to make. And that is that the authority of your past leaders and the reason you should imitate their faith has nothing to do with who those people actually were or really anything about them. Their authority and the reason you should follow them is grounded in the unchanging gospel. And the reason that's important is because you may have had leaders in your past that were Christian in name, but were abusive leaders, or leaders who, whose lives just did not match the Jesus they said they proclaim. 
So you may have had hypocritical leaders in the past. They may have said they were Christian, but it might be that they weren't even Christian. They were professing but not possessing Christ. Or it could be that they uh, were true believers, but they had significant areas of gospel misunderstanding or areas of weakness that they needed to grow in, and which leader does not have that, right? But the problem is not with the gospel. And so I think what we can say from these verses here is that Christians should remember and imitate their leaders insofar as those leaders lived out the unchanging gospel. That's where you follow your leaders. But then this is one part of offering to God acceptable worship. And so we see here uh, leadership, um, leadership and the unchanging gospel. Uh, but what about, our, what about our attitude towards current leaders? Okay, and so what I want us to look at now is leadership and joyful church life. So verses 17 through 19. Okay, leadership and joyful church life. And uh, first of all, let's just look at verse 17 again. So he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, obey your leaders and submit to them. So we have two imperatives, just like the last section, obey and submit. Now, these are extremely counter-cultural terms when it comes to leaders. Culture says that you need to take matters into your own hands. Culture says, do what is right by yourself. And it is the mindset of books and movies and uh, TV commercials and people you talk to in town. It is championed in news articles and it's demonstrated in protests and cultural outrage. (laughs) Do what you think. Don't bow to the will of another. And to be clear, there is a time when leadership should be stood up to and submission should be refused. I mean, we see that in the book of Acts. They said, no, we cannot help but proclaim Jesus, right? So there is a time and a place for that. And to make something else abundantly clear, please hear me when I say this. Scripture never, never calls people to submit to abuse in any relationship. Not in a pastoral relationship, not in a family relationship, not in a work relationship, never. And so nothing I say here today should cause you to think that you still need to yield to and obey someone who is abusive, because that is not what Scripture teaches, ever. But what I am referring to this morning is that the prevailing mindset of our culture is an overall refusal to submit to the will of anyone else. I will be the authority in my life. I will be God, is essentially what our culture says. But what should characterize Christians is something quite different. And so this morning I want to show you from this text that submission and obedience might not actually look like you think it does. Or at least it might not look like what culture either tells us you should do or what culture is reacting against. Let me see if I can explain this. The first word there in verse 17, the word obey, is actually the word for persuade, like to persuade or convince someone. And the reason it's translated obey is because 
kind of the idea behind this word is that uh, the idea behind this word is that you are so persuaded that what the leader says is true and goes along with this word that you are just convinced and you naturally just follow what they say because of the word, not because of them, but because of what this says. That's what the word there means. And it, it definitely carries the idea of obedience in it, but it's not an obedience that, is, that comes through forced submission. It is, obedience, uh, it is obedience that is won through persuasion according to God's word. And so obedience and submission in this verse is not a blind obedience and submission to do whatever the will of the leader is just because he's the leader and he said so. <laughs> Instead, what we find, I think especially when we combine this with what we learned in verses 7 through 9, is that the task of leaders is to hold so closely to the truth of the gospel and declare God's word accurately, carefully and thoughtfully applying it to the current culture, cultural context, all of this to such a degree that the church as a whole is persuaded that the leader's leadership is in line with God's word so that we are all persuaded that the leader's direction is good and to be followed. Now, that was a mouthful. <laughs> that was a long sentence. But, but here's, here's the point. Here's what should characterize a genuinely Christian church, specifically Walnut Park Baptist Church. Okay, so if Walnut Park Baptist Church is to follow this teaching in Hebrews 13, what are things going to look like? What's going to happen? Well, Pastor Wood and I will give ourselves to understanding God's Word, to living it out ourselves as genuine followers of Christ, and to faithfully teaching it to you all. And all of us, will listen to the preaching of the word, allow ourselves to be persuaded by the word insofar as it is declared accurately, and then following our leaders and the pastors of our church. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how this form or this attitude here toward each, toward each other in the life of the church, it is counter-cultural. Yet it's also counter to what culture reacts against. So what, what culture reacts against is a misuse of leadership or an abuse of leadership. But this teaching counters an abuse of leadership because ultimately the authority that Pastor Wood and I have has nothing to do with ourselves. I mean, we have absolutely zero authority in and of ourselves. The only authority we have as leaders is derived authority coming from this book. And so if we get up one day and we start declaring something that is not in, it's, it's not in agreement with what this book says, then you all should hold us accountable and you should stand up to that. If it's not accurately reflecting God's word, then we have zero authority. And so this, this teaching is countercultural. It's counter to what culture is reacting against. We have no authority, only what is in this book. But this is also counter to what culture teaches as the answer to the abuse of leadership. Because culture says the answer to the abuse of leadership is to disregard leadership. Just do whatever you want. Do what's, You be the leader. You take matters into your own hands. In every relationship in life, you should be the leader. But this, is, this scripture says that what should characterize Christian churches 
is a free and joyful submission to leadership in the church. And yielding to the direction of another is very countercultural. But I also want you to see that the author in this passage includes some safeguards when it comes to leadership. And can I just say this? For a pastor to come to Hebrews 13, verse 17, and to see, oh, look at that. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, you guys, this is great. I like this. I mean, you guys all need to do what I say. <laughs> For a pastor to come to uh, chapter, Hebrews chapter 13, 17, and have that kind of chip on his shoulder means that that pastor did not understand this text. There's no way that a pastor should come to this text and be just excited, like, oh, this is awesome, with a chip on his shoulder, proud of the great authority he has. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at, look at verse 17 again. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's, that's weighty. <laughs> Pastors are called to watch over the souls, the eternal destiny of the believers in the church. That's not something to get proud about. That's not something to exercise like, ah, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> That's something to shudder at. As those who will have to give an account. One pastor, as he was uh, explaining this passage, he said that the pastors of our, of our church will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we do that, he's going to say something like, what did you do to preserve the faith and the obedience of the members of your church? What did you teach? How did you live? What steps did you take in the case of the disobedient, the rebellious, the suffering, the grieving, the perplexed, the lonely, the aged, the teenagers, and the children? And we will have to give an account. Pastor Wood and I will have to give an account for what we taught and how we lived and how we fought to help our church continue on in the faith. And this is one of the most sobering thoughts for a pastor. <laughs> and so there's no way that a pastor could come to this text with a chip on his shoulder, excited about this authority. Authority and leadership is not a right to exercise, but a responsibility to exercise humbly. And so you could see why the author says in verse 18, <laughs> you, can, you can understand why he would follow that with this. <laughs> pray for us. <laughs> and can I say, pray for us. Pray for us. And he says here, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Would you all pray that for, for Pastor Wood and I? That we would have a clear conscience in how we lead that we would desire to act honorably in all things. We desperately need your prayers in these ways. And so this is a weighty and a serious task. But it's also, even though it's a serious task, if all things are done according to God's word and God's plan, then there's actually cause for great mutual joy. And do you see that at the end of verse 17? 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so when God's people humbly follow their God-ordained leaders who are leading humbly before God, then both experience great joy. The church is called to humbly follow in such a way that, that allows pastors to do their task with joy. And this is ultimately, this is actually a motivation to follow. It's a motivation because following is what ultimately enables your own joy. But the reverse is also the case. So this is, I mean, it's just a reciprocating relationship. So when pastors watchfully, humbly, and joyfully lead, the result is the ultimate advantage of the church. And humble church members enable joyful pastors. Humble pastors enable joyful church members. This is God's intention for the church. Here's the point of the passage. God has chosen to use leadership in the church as a means to keep his people in the faith. And so mutual joy is experienced through faithful submission to faithful pastors. And so that's what this text teaches. And I'd like to just close here by offering several areas of application. So we come to a text like this, we ask, how should pastors practically keep watch, ready to give an account with joy? How should church members, which actually includes Pastor Wood and I, because we're also members of the church, how should we all obey and submit to the leadership in the church? And so I have several different applications. I want to give some applications to pastors and some applications to church members. But first, I want to start with this. The first, the first way I like to apply this passage this morning is actually by saying a word of gratitude. Because I've only been here a year and a half now. But in my year and a half of being here, you all have made leading at Walnut Park Baptist Church an absolute joy. I mean, like, when I read this text, I mean, it felt like the author of Hebrews, when he said, let them do this with joy, (laughs) it felt like he was talking about Walnut Park Baptist Church. Because you all do this. You all let the leaders lead with joy. You have demonstrated a godly balance between sharing opinion and following direction, between speaking and listening. Because submission does not mean inability to express your thoughts and your concerns and warnings and admonitions and the like. But whenever those concerns and thoughts have been shared, it's been done in a a way that's just very humble. And so you all have made pastoring at Walnut Park Baptist Church an incredible joyful task. And that is not the case in all churches. And so I want to say thank you. And we love you and we're thankful for this. But let me give some applications to pastors. And I know this might seem a little bit awkward because, as far as I know, there's only two pastors in this room. Um, but Scripture speaks directly to leaders here, and so I want to do the same. I want to, I want to give some applications. And maybe you could think of this as ways to pray for us as pastors. And it could also be that this, uh, I mean, this text, I think, also applies to aspiring pastors. And many of the things that, that many of the applications for pastors here are also true for leaders in any context. And so let me give you some uh, areas of application here uh, for pastors. Be watchful and study. We must diligently study God's word to understand exactly what God is communicating to us. 
We, I mean, remember, the only authority we have is derived authority from the gospel, the unchanging gospel. And so we need to be diligent to study this word of God. Secondly, be watchful in character. Uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite ministry verses, I have some ministry verses and uh, pastoral verses, and one of my favorites is Ezra 7.10, because it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And Ezra got it right. <laughs> you study, you do it, and you teach it. And that second one is so important. You don't study and then teach it. You study and you do it. And, and we need you guys to pray for us. <laughs> that we would, we would be genuine believers who live out. I mean, one of my ministry fears is that I would grow cold to a place where I stand up and say one thing, but live another thing. But we must be watchful in character. Third, be watchful in prayer. I was moved again. Uh, this week in my study, about the need to pray regularly for you all, for the whole congregation, because we are keeping watch over your souls, and we have to give an account someday. And so pastors must pray. And then fourth, I just want to say demonstrate joyful leadership. I mean, Pastor Wood has talked some about the importance of joy in the home like creating a, a joyful atmosphere in home. And I think that's the case also in church life and in any leadership position. Create an atmosphere of joy. And we could come up with many more areas of application. And in fact, uh, Pastor Wood tried this, and it, and it seemed like a good idea, so I'm going to do the same thing. Let me encourage you to, if you have an area of application, maybe one that stands out here that I'm about to say, or one that you think of in addition to this, then let me encourage you to text me. Just shoot me a text and share your application with me, and that would be an encouragement. Uh, but here are some applications, very quickly, for church members. Um, first of all, in a, so in a little book on humility I read this week, the author describes humility in leadership, how leaders demonstrate humility, and he also describes it in humility uh, towards leadership. And one of his applications was submission in worship. And by this he meant that one of the best ways a church member can submit to his pastor is simply by hearing God's word as it's preached and responding appropriately. And here's what he said. He said, when you hear something that is convicting, immediately repent before the Lord. Or here's another one. When you hear something that is encouraging or uplifting, immediately give thanks to the Lord. And one of the best ways that you all can follow and that I can follow the leadership of the church is simply to respond to this word. And then a second one, another application he, this guy suggested in the same book, uh, he suggested uh, was to not grumble over decisions that are made. And I would like to add to that. I would like to add, but feel free to express your opinions. Um, <clears throat> if you feel strongly about the way things are done, or something that should be done, or, or should not be done, then let's talk about it. We want to talk about it. Remember, submission does not mean inability to express your opinions. Submission often means expressing those opinions, but do it in a way that is humble and not grumbling at the outcome. 
And then third, maybe as one more application, uh, let me just read what uh, one pastor said. Uh, he suggested this as an application in, in a message on this same passage. Here's what he said. He said, a church should have a bent toward trusting its leaders. You should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitudes and actions toward their goals and directions. You should want to imitate their faith, and you should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. And you see how this, I mean, even this application here is countercultural. Because in one sense, there is a disposition where you, you want to follow, but at the same time, it's not just a blind, do as I say. It's actually a participation in this. It's a, yes, let's get behind this. But it's a joyful disposition. And again, there are so many applications we could draw from this. And I encourage you to shoot me a text with yours. Um, <clears throat> And so what I'd like to do is just encourage you, I mean, even throughout the day, throughout the day, throughout this week, think about this, and, and respond to God's Word, and shoot me a text with your application here. But when the church lives as God has prescribed, then there is a beautiful picture of harmony and joy. I mean, joy. And again, I'd like to just say that I at least feel like this place is a joyful place, and I think in large part because there's a lot of following of God's Word in this regard. So we're thankful for that. Faithful leadership and submission to faithful leadership is one of the means that God uses to keep His people in the faith. And it's an incredible testimony to a watching world. And so may God help us to continue pastors to lead faithfully and genuinely, and all of us to follow Leaders, but ultimately God and His Word. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you this morning for your Word. Thank you for passages like this that are maybe somewhat uncomfortable to talk about in some ways, but yet you've given it to us ultimately for our advantage is what it says. And so we want to thank you. And we pray that you would enable us day by day to live this out. And not even in just our relationships in the church, but in our relationships in general. Wherever you've called us to submit in a relationship, would you give us the grace that's needed to joyfully do that? Because that's what Christians look like. And whenever you've called us to lead, would you give us the grace and the courage that's needed to lead boldly but with humility? And would we experience joy more and more in this place and in all of our relationships because we follow your word. And may this be a testimony to the world that's watching. In Jesus' name, amen.